If you did not get a handout when you came in this morning, it's a handout that says number two, developing know-how. I'm going to ask if you haven't received one, if you would raise your hand. Uh, we have some folks that have some extras that they will be handing out. So if you raise your hand high, they'll get right to you this morning. Last week, we began a seven-week series that is a practical training for witnessing. Now, some of the things that we talked about last week, we answered the question primarily, why aren't we motivated to share the gospel? Why aren't we motivated to witness? And here are the three things that we identified. Some Christians ignore or misunderstand the Lord's commands. Many Christians have misplaced priorities. And most Christians forget the fate of lost people. Last week, I made a commitment to you. In return, I asked a commitment from you. And overwhelmingly, nearly every hand was raised last week in commitment to do this, to pray this past week, that we would, first of all, obey Christ in obedience regarding witnessing. But secondly, that we would ask God to give us a heart to care for people the way he cares for people. And so I pray that you have kept up with your commitment this week. One of the things that we realize, and this is from personal experience, when we wonder why we're not more motivated to share the gospel, it's simply this. I don't know what to say. And because that is one of those glaring truths we really just don't know or maybe we haven't thought it through that's what we're going to address today what do we say now there's a primary verse that is the underlying foundation for all that we talk about in every believer witness and that's acts chapter 1 verse 8 i'm going to ask uh, that it come up here on the board. We're going to read this out loud together. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit Now remember, when we first looked at this last week, notice what God said. He did not say that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and power would come upon you and you might be my witness. He said, you will be my witness. Now, I want to do something a little out of the ordinary right now. You've probably not ever had this request of you in church on a Sunday morning. I'm going to ask that you forget. Forget church. I'm going to ask that you forget Everything you know about God and Jesus. And we're going to make a transition right now. So here's my transition. I'm going to take off my jacket for a moment anyway. When you hear the word witness, remember we're outside the church now. When you hear the word witness, what do you think of? You can speak out. 
Court, courtroom, court of law, absolutely. That's where we go to because that's what it is to us in our life. Now, we're going to make a, um, a, a connection between what we know to be true in this world today and what Jesus is teaching us. So I want to ask a question now. This would be by raise of hands. How many of you have ever been a witness in a criminal case? Just a raise of a hand. Raise of a hand. Okay, we have a few. Okay. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to talk to you. Jennifer, I'm going to talk to you if that's all right. And her eyes are this big. I'm going to come down. I'm going to guide you. I'm not going to ask you to give any details or anything like that. But I do want to just talk to you. You were a witness in the criminal case. Now, when you came into the courtroom, you were probably placed on a stand and, and they probably had you raise your hand, right? And they said something like, you promised to tell the truth and the whole truth and what? Okay, nothing but the truth. So help you God. This is a pretty serious matter. So you're on the stand. Did they ask you some questions like, what's your name or anything like that? Did you have to identify yourself? A juror. Okay, so you were not on the stand. Okay, so now let me ask this question. Now, no hands will go up. <laughs> Except I saw Daryl's hand. So I'm going to go over to Daryl. Okay, Daryl, you, you were a witness in a criminal case, correct? Okay, so you heard also that do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Did they ask you to establish your identity? They did, so you had some kind of a statement there. Now, what did they ask you? You don't have to give me specifics, but I'm going to hand you this microphone. What kind of specific questions or what kind of questions did they ask you about the case or the defendant? Can you give me like a general question? Did they, let me put it this way. Did they ask you what you thought about that person or what you saw happen? Both. Okay, so they were trying to develop some kind of a picture here. Yeah. Were they interested? Is this your girlfriend sitting beside you? Which one? That one. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be out in the hallway. <laughs> I was guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, what's going on in this section here? <laughs> Daryl, is that your wife? Yes. Okay, and your girlfriend. Yes. yes. Yes, good answer. So let's say you were on the stand in this criminal case, and they said, Daryl, did you see so-and-so do such-and-such? Such? Yes. And you answered this, well, my wife saw them, and she told me all about it. What do you think they would say to you? Not relevant. Not relevant or maybe hearsay. Yes. Okay, how, let's make it a little more serious. What if they said, Daryl, did you see so-and-so do such-and-such? And you say, I was talking to my pastor the other day, and he was in a prayer group, and they were praying about this very thing that you're talking about. And they were talking all about what happened this moment. And he told me this happened. What do you think they'd say to you? Not relevant. Not relevant. That's hearsay, right? right? That's not about it at all. So we kind of get a general idea of what it means to be 
a witness, right? So what is a witness in this world? First-hand knowledge, it's experience, it's what, what you know to be true because you've experienced the truth of that, right? Okay, transition back. We're going back to church now. We're going to make the transition. What does a witness do? See, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. Here's what Jesus is not saying. That when you witness, you do not witness this way. Well, my pastor said this about Jesus. That's not a witness. I was reading in a book about the Bible, and this is what it said about Jesus. That's not what being a witness is. Just knowing the transition that we've made here, what it means to be in the world today, to be a witness on this stand, it means the same thing here. When we give witness to Jesus Christ, it's what we know And it's what we have experienced. That's what makes it so powerful. We're going to look at Paul this morning, who gives us a model of what to say. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this this week. Again, this will be a week of prayer leading up to what God would have us to do. But I want to ask you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. So we're looking at the Apostle Paul. And you will see real quickly, he is in court. He is in court and it's about his faith. So he provides a model for us here. And you fill in your blanks as we go this morning. But number one, a model for witnessing, A, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read these verses. And this is Paul's life before Christ. Paul's life before he knew Jesus. Now listen, in a court case, just listen to Paul speak. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king, 
Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So to fill in that blank again, A, this is Paul describing his life before he met Jesus. Notice some of the things that he wrote in here. He was a Pharisee, a strict Pharisee. He lived by the law. He knew the law. He taught the law. This was his life. But also notice that he opposed Jesus. That he locked up followers of Jesus. When it came time to be on trial for their faith, he voted for them to die. He persecuted those believers. He punished believers. He made so miserable that he was trying to make them blaspheme against God. That was his life before Jesus. But then he continues, be in your outline. This is on page three at the top. This is how he met Jesus. How he met Jesus, verses 12 through 18. In this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So B, again, that's how Paul met Jesus. He was on his way to Damascus. Many of you know the story. There was a light from heaven and it was brighter than the sun. It didn't just shine around him. Everyone that was with him saw this light. And then he heard the voice of God speaking to him. It sounds as if it was an audible voice in that respect. And then he was appointed as a servant And a witness for God. So we have two components. This was my life before I met Jesus. And this is how I met Jesus. And now the third component is his life since he met Jesus. Verses 19 through 23. 
Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. And the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. We see now as Paul met Jesus, he became an active witness for him. Something happened on the way to Damascus and it changed his life. It is also showing that he had difficulties along the way. People were trying to kill him for what he was now doing, but he was spared. And he said that he had the protection of God as he served God. He had the protection of God as he witnessed to God and about him as he was obeying He was preaching Jesus alone, the resurrection of the Christ. So that's pretty dramatic when we look at this. Number two in your outline there at the bottom of page three says most Christians think, well, I don't have a dramatic story like that. And you might go on to say, I I wasn't murderous. I wasn't out killing Christians. I was not a wretch such as Paul. I did not see a light from heaven. I did not hear the voice of God calling me to be a Christian. And you're thinking, well, that was Paul. Of course he would have a great testimony. Of course he would have a great witness. But do you? Is that true of you? Have you had a dramatic life-changing experience that you could testify to? I'm going to answer the question for you. But let's first start with something we just sang. If we went to all the churches in the United States and just did this, what's the most popular hymn of all time? Amazing grace. We just sang that. Think of those words that we sang. And and don't you just cherish this? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Isn't that beautiful? It sets the stage for how wonderful God is. And then the next few moments or the next few words, how beautiful are the words that saved a what? A wretch. You, You just told me. That you weren't a wretch like Paul, but you sing about it. We sing these songs about who we were before Christ, but do we really understand? We were wretched before him. The rest of our time this morning will be directed at not what I think about you and what you think about me, but what God says about us. And this helps us remember, as Paul did, who he was before he met Jesus. Many of you know I was in Desert Storm and I was with the 1st Infantry, 1st Aviation. I worked with the Apache helicopters. I was not a pilot, 
but I had cargo trucks that carried Hellfire missiles and 2.75-inch rockets and 30-millimeter bullets, and that was my job. I would, I would equip the, the helicopters to do their job. When Desert Storm first began, I will not get, get into all the details, but uh, I had emptied my truck so that I could go pick up food for our unit. I was given an officer to ride shotgun with me. And and just as a perspective, I know every one of us who have a phone right now, uh, we have a GPS. 1991, GPS was not that popular. In fact, only the senior officers had GPS at that time. So I was given an officer to, to direct us to the drop point where the food would be. Seems like a pretty easy task. So we drove to the drop point. Mind you, we're in the desert. There are no road signs. There are no roads. It's just desert. No markers. But we got our way, made our way to the, the drop point. And as we waited for whoever is supposed to be there to give us our food, it turned dark. Truck was loaded. It was now dark. And by the way, if you didn't know, you typically do not use headlights at night in a war because it serves as a beacon to everyone around you. So imagine it's now dark, no roads, no headlights, and we're now going to try to make our way back to the unit. We drove and drove and drove and drove. And there was nothing. We didn't know what to do. So me, being the the staff sergeant that I was, I turned on my headlights and I drove around in circles looking for any sign of life around me. So imagine that. If you've ever seen a lighthouse, this is Steve. I'm the lighthouse in the desert. Look Look at me. Well, I looked at my officer and I said, I don't think we have any hope right now. And we decided to spend the night in the truck and then take off at first light. We made it through the night and we started driving and we came upon an M1 Abrams tank, which is ours, thankfully. The officer steps out and he says this, what were you doing out there? Where we explained we were lost. We we didn't know where we were. We were driving around just trying to find our way back. Well, he gave us directions. Behind the tank goes this direction, and here's how you make your, your way back to your unit. You see, we were lost. We had no bearing. We did not know which way to go. We didn't know where we were. We We were lost. And as we look at Scripture today, Luke 19, 10 Your first blank. Is that verse up there? Do we have Luke 19.10, the next one? Maybe not. Well, let me say this. Jesus came to seek and to save the what? The lost. The Bible says in the same way that I was lost out in the desert, we were lost before Jesus, which means we didn't have any bearings. We didn't know which way to turn. We were trying to find our own way, and it's a path of destruction. So that is what I learned 
in that case. My family and I like to travel and experience the sights of the United States. And if you have not heard, in Kentucky is a place called Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave is a national park that houses the longest cave system known. And it's right in, in Kentucky, just northeast of Nashville. Some say that it was over 400 miles of caves have been mapped through that system. It goes 140 feet underground. Now, they have guides that would take you through some of those systems. And when we went, they, they took us down into the cave and they would have those little lights along the way so that you could mind your step. And once we got down into the cave, I think it's 54 degrees all the time. That's how low you are in the, in the ground. He warned us that he was going to turn off all the lights. He said, just be prepared. And he turned off the lights. And I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, how silence is deafening. Well, in that place when the lights went off, I found how heavy darkness was. You could not see your spouse beside you. You could not see the children that you were trying to keep hold of. You could not see your hand in front of your face. As much as I love the Word of God, if I had it in my hand and opened it up, I couldn't read the words. I was blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says you and I were blind also. Does that have the verse on, on there? I can pull it up. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this world is referring to Satan. And it says what he does here is he blinds us from seeing the truth. He blinds us from seeing the gospel, the glory of Christ. And in the same way, I was blinded at Mammoth Cave Someone who does not know Jesus Christ, they can pick up this Bible full of words and they can look at those words and they can read the same words as you and I and they have no understanding. They're blinded to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we were also blind before Jesus. Now, the next one is Romans 4. Five, Romans 4, 5. You can fill in your blank here. Uh, ungodly or wicked. So read out loud with me, Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the... So the Bible says 
you and I were ungodly. In fact, if, if you have a different translation, it might say wicked right here. Honestly speaking, before knowing Jesus, that never entered my vocabulary. I never looked in the mirror before going to school and say, Steve, you are ungodly and wicked. That never entered my vocabulary in describing myself. Yet that is what God describes of you and me. In our world today, we have something we call comparative righteousness. Comparative righteousness is where we look at other people. We look at social media. We see the failures of some famous people. We'll look at the newspaper and see those who have been convicted. We'll hear the stories of what's happening in lives of other people as a prayer concern, of course. And we look at ourselves. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not doing those things. In fact, I'm pretty good. We could poll Christians from all over the United States. And we could ask this question, though it's not the way it's described in the Bible. When you take your last breath here and you find yourself at the gate of heaven, God steps out and says, why should I let you in? Most Christians would say, because I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good does not get you into heaven. You know this. See, Christianity and being saved is not Jesus coming to clean us up a little bit. He's not coming to give us a hand to get into heaven. We were ungodly. We were wicked. And that's what we see here in this passage. Comparative righteousness. I'm pretty good. And what the Bible says is, no, you're not. Now, you know the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to ask that you recite them all. I would probably miss one or two along the way. But let me ask you some questions. We're going to participate so we can see comparatively how we're doing. Now, we talked last week based on a a picture drawn by a nine-year-old that hell has four compartments. And in one of those compartments were super liars. We don't know what that means, but that's what he said, super liars. So we know in the Ten Commandments that that we're not to lie. You shall not lie. Well, I'm going to ask for you to raise your hand this morning. If you have ever lied, no matter the color of the lie or whether you're a super liar or not, just raise your hand. Okay, I'm doing a quick scan. If you did not raise your hand, raise your hand now because you have now lied in the house of God. (laughs) See, we could admit to ourselves that we have lied. We we have been mischievous. We, We have misdirected people or misdirected information. Well, another command is, uh, you shall not covet. Well, have you ever desired something that someone else had? Ever? Yeah, Daryl's the only one raised his hand this morning. (laughs) Would you raise your hand if you've ever desired something that someone else had? Yeah. You shall not steal. I've got some stories. I've shared this with some, and I'm not going to share it because I know mom and dad's watching. So we'll keep that one till Wednesday nights. 
Have you ever stolen anything that didn't belong to you? Even if it was an ink pen from a bank, cheating on your taxes, using work time for personal time, that's stealing from your employer. Have you ever stolen anything that didn't belong to you? Okay, a a few of us. This next question, I, I don't want you to raise your hand, okay? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever committed adultery? And the reason why I'm telling you not to raise your hand is because Jesus clarified in the New Testament, if you have ever had lust in your heart for another, you have committed adultery. And so if we have gone through puberty, there's a strong likelihood we've already committed that sin. But here's what I want us to see. Just by the nature of what has happened here this morning, we're all liars. We, We are covetous people. We're thieves and adulterers. And we're saying to ourselves, we're pretty good. But according to God's standard, we're not. And we have missed the mark. I have an article from the New York Times, June 18th, 2023. Mrs. Bella Montoya was a 76-year-old retired nurse living in Ecuador. On June 9th, 2023, Mrs. Montoya suffered a cardiorespiratory arrest and was pronounced dead at the local hospital. The death certificate was signed and she was transported to the funeral home. As the family gathered around Mrs. Montoya's coffin during her wake, they were startled by a knocking from inside the coffin. Now, if you have ever watched a scary movie in your life, this would be the point that you left the room because nothing ever good happens when a dead body is trying to come out of the coffin. Agreed. They were startled. The news article reported she spent about five hours inside the coffin and woke up in the middle of her wake. Shocking loved ones gathered to mourn her death. So they helped her out of the coffin. They called the ambulance. The ambulance transported her to the hospital, which, by the way, was the same hospital that pronounced her dead before And they put permanent surveillance in the intensive care unit on this woman. Seven days later, she died of a stroke and was declared dead again. Her son, Gilbert, said this. This time, my mother did die and my life will never be the same. We understand. You know, it's doubtful you and I would ever encounter such an event as this. A a dead person is unable to do anything. A dead person cannot move. They cannot give you the sign. They can't wink. They can't smile. They can't mouth words to you. They can't get up and dance. They cannot wave their arms. They are dead. Ephesians 2.1 
Read this out loud with me. As for you. The Bible says, because of our sin against God, we were dead. Which means we could not do anything for ourselves. We couldn't try to do better because we're dead. We couldn't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps because we were dead. So before we met Jesus, we were dead. Lost, blind, wicked, and dead. This past week, we had a a time of remembrance about 911. Many of you who are my age and near, near my age, you would probably remember exactly where you were when you heard the news of what happened at the Twin Towers on 9-11. It was a time where we as a country were shocked because the enemy came here and they took many lives But I don't know if you recall the days after. There was a a resolve in America. Flags flew where flags were probably not flown before. There was loyalty and patriotism. And the whole nation was called to pray. We were coming together because of an enemy that came in. Our lives have never been the same since 9-11. Everything has changed how we deal with terrorists and terrorism and the task forces that we have. But they are enemies and they encroached into our lives and and they changed now the way we live. The blank you have before you, this last blank. Before Jesus, you were an enemy of God. You were an enemy of God. Romans 5.10. Read this with me. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now... As I look through, through my blanks, Before I met Jesus, I was lost, I was blind, I was wicked, I was dead, and I was an enemy of God. Now you might be thinking this morning, Steve, what would you do? Just go through the, the Bible and pick out verses that made me look bad? Are you trying to make me look bad? Not at all. I'm not trying to make you look bad. This is not anything that I'm saying here. It's just a sampling of verses of what God says about you and me. In in fact, he said that, that we were so bad that he had to send his son here to live among us, to become a sacrifice for us. But we could also word it this way. We were so loved also we were so loved by our creator that he was compelled to make a way for you and me to know him and to be reconciled to him and that's what he has done in in this life of jesus christ 
who became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Why do we need to become the righteousness of God? Why do we need to be saved? Just look above on that last page. This is why. This describes you and it describes me. So let me ask you a question now. Do you have a testimony? Absolutely. We all have testimony. A Christian has a testimony. Let me define Christian once again. Not someone who was just born in the U.S., not someone who lives in the South, not someone who had a relative that was part of a church, a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. Talking about those who have come to the understanding that we are lost without Jesus. That we have no hope for eternal life. That we are destined for hell. But we have been purchased and ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been made whole. We have been reconciled. The sin has been taken away from us and we've been given the righteousness of God. And we are now living because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, changing us into the image of God that we have lived changed from that point forward. That's what I mean by a Christian. So Christians have a testimony. We look at Paul. We see how bad he was. But let's look at how bad we were compared to God in his righteousness. You were lost, but now what? You see. You were blind. I'm sorry, you were lost, but now found. You were blind, but now see. You were wicked, but listen, now you are the righteousness of God. You were dead, but now you are alive. You were an enemy of God, but now you are a friend of God. You are a child of God. It doesn't matter if you're six years old, if you're Sam getting ready to get baptized. At that young of age, you can look at your life and say, you know, I've not really done anything bad. You may not think you did, but according to God's word, you were lost, blind, ungodly, dead, and an enemy of God. It doesn't matter your age. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. We need to be a witness about what God has done in our life. It's not every day that the dead rise. And that's exactly what happened through the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning as we, as we wrap up what we're, we're talking about today, being reminded of who we were before we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm not going to ask you to go out this week. I'm not asking you to commit to me to go out this week and witness to everyone you see. Now, if God so leads you to do that, by all means, do so. But would you make a commitment today to pray this prayer every day? Lord, help me to remember who I was before Jesus. Thank you for saving and changing me. See, as we pray, pray this every day, we'll be reminded of what God has done in our lives, that we do have a story.
that we do have a miracle that has happened in our lives. I will continue to make a commitment to you that I'm going to teach you everything you need to know in the coming weeks. That you would know what to say, how to say it. And it would be just as natural as you and I talking. But it comes with the knowledge of the truth of what God has done in your life and in mine. That's what we witness about. Not what someone told you about Jesus, but what you've experienced in Him. As we come to a time of conclusion and response, when we look at those things and we understand what it means to be a Christian, it's possible that you're sitting here today and you say, I've not been changed. I don't understand the Word of God since I've become a Christian. I'm missing something here. I understand in my head, in the knowledge of what God says and what He's done, but I'm missing it here. I don't understand it in my heart. It's not changing my life. Perhaps your response this morning would just to be getting right with God. Whatever that means. If it's for salvation, you come to Him and say, I recognize that I'm lost and I'm blind and I'm wicked and I'm dead and I need you to save me. That's all it takes. You turn to Him. And He will. It's His desire that all be saved. It may be this morning that that you've recognized part of your life has not been surrendered yet. You're trying to control an area of your life and... You recognize today, I I want Jesus to be Lord of all. I just want to lay it down. Because you and I cannot control the people around us. We cannot control the circumstances. We cannot control the weather. We can't even predict the weather. But Jesus is the answer. He is the way and He is the life and the truth. There is no other way but through Him to see Jesus, to live in heaven for eternity. So would you make that commitment today? Maybe you're, you're, you've been visiting and God's laid on your heart that this is where you are to serve. You just need to make the next step. Say, I want to be part of this fellowship today. We would welcome you. I'm going to ask Ryan and Mike to come up and lead us in a time of response. And this is your time to respond to God's Word. What did God say to you today? What do you understand today that you didn't understand before? It might just be a time of worship, of thanksgiving for what God is doing in our lives. Are you with gratitude this morning that Jesus died in your place that you could be saved? He's the life giver. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. If you have a heartbeat this morning, it should be given to Him in worship and obedience. What is God speaking to you today to get right right now? I'll be here in the front after I conclude in prayer. We're going to sing. If you need Jesus as your Savior, would you just come and say, I need Jesus.
I need to be saved. Let's give him the honor and the glory today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have heard what you have accomplished on our behalf. We really aren't that good. But thank heaven you are. And you have offered to give your goodness to us and take away our sin to wipe us clean as snow, forgiving us of the debt that we owe. Lord, may we respond in appropriate manner this morning as we give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all stand. Let's sing together.